Hi, this is Randy Cross of the San Francisco 49ers, three-time Super Bowl champion, and I love my time with the Pro Sports Podcasters. We are the Pro Sports Podcasters, where no sport is left behind. It's time for another episode of the Pro Sports Podcasters with your hosts, Nee Wallace-Bruce, Corbert Durand, and Justin Williams. On this podcast, we have guests from all over the world covering every sport from artistic gymnastics to weightlifting. We are something for every sports fan on PSP. Whether your interests are the athletes playing the game, the coaches, or the media, we've got you covered. Fun and informative, honest and engaging. You won't want to miss a single episode. So let's kick this off. Welcome back to the Pro Sports Podcasters. I'm your co-host, Mr. Nameless Bruce, and I am joined by the talented Mr. Kobe Durant, a.k.a. Kobe. Kobe, how you doing? Fantastic, buddy. Fantastic. We're in the middle of the NFL playoffs, which you know I love. But more importantly, we're going to look ahead to the next season with the draft because we got a draft analyst with us. I love this. Yeah, I mean, there's. it's never too early to look ahead to the f- future. And if you're a dynasty degenerate like myself, the game never ends. <laughs> it's a 12-month institution. So with that in mind, it's time to bring out our guest. He's a very busy man. When he's not looking at the draft, he actually does drills with the National Guard. So we appreciate his service there. It is the one and only Mr. John Vogel. John, how are you doing? Uh, good, guys. Thank you. Appreciate you uh, inviting me to come on here and have a good time talking ball. It's always a good time to talk football. So, you know, any opportunity is great, I think. And uh, excited to see what you guys have in store here. So, no doubt about it. And you can find his good work over at NFL Draft Blitz. So, definitely check that out because he is, he is a scout. He's a man in the room. John, are you heading to uh, any of these college uh, events like the Senior Bowl or the uh, – I forget the name of the other one. But are you heading out to see some of the players in action? Yeah. So, I just got back. I did the Tropical Bowl this week in Orlando. It's probably fifth in terms of, you know, the rankings of the slate of the games. Uh, my next stop will be the Senior Bowl. Uh, so, I'm not doing the NFL PA. We've got another guy out there doing that. And the Shrine Bowl goes on the same week that the Senior Bowl is going on. So, it's just easier for us to go ahead and say, you know, let's go with the uh, – I'll do the Senior Bowl. I've done it before. It's like a five-hour drive for me down there to Mobile. Uh, so, love that place, love that event. And then I'll hit the Combine in March as well. So, there we go. There we go. Now, if I'm not mistaken – as of last week, there were five quarterbacks in the Senior Bowl. Are we going to see a sixth by the time we get to game time or maybe not? Yes. So, uh, now there was a sixth that accepted. He will not play. Uh, he's just strictly there for interviews. And as he's in his recovery, that's Hendon Hooker from Tennessee, just accepted okay. today, this morning. Um, but the uh, the guy that they're waiting on right now is Will Levis at Kentucky. Uh, I talked to Will when he was at Music City Bowl here in Nashville. He's just kind of waiting right now uh, to see what the feedback is with NFL teams. Do they really want to see him play down there? You know, you don't want to go down there and have a bad week and hurt your stock potentially. Because right now he's probably looking like a top five pick is where he's projected to go right now. And so I think they're they're kind of thinking they may play there, they may not. Uh, it just kind of depends what the feedback is. Um, the impression that I have is that he has enough uh, on tape already and going down there, there's no reason for him to. So I would, I would anticipate someone like Aiden O'Connell being called up or someone like that. If he decides to decline it here in the last minutes. All right. Watch this space. 
watch this space. And that top five is going to be really interesting to watch, isn't it, Kobe? Big time. Big time. Because one of the teams involved in the top five picks, to me, is the most interesting team this year at the draft. And that's the Seattle Seahawks with what happened this, uh, this season. How do you see it, John? Yeah, no, it's it's really kind of comes up to, you know, C.J. Stroud apparently doesn't want to go to the Texans, you know, so I think that you're going to see a trade up potentially the Chicago Bears move to, let's say, four. I think four is an ideal spot they want to get to, to with the Colts. And, you know, the Colts are going to move up. They need a quarterback. You could potentially see someone move up to three, take a quarterback. You're potentially looking at three quarterbacks coming off the board. It's probably going to be Bryce Young. It'll be Will Levis. It'll be C.J. Stroud. And then potentially in the top 20, you could see Anthony Richardson come off the board, coming out of Florida. Um, so it's going to be, it's a really interesting week or year, I should say, for quarterbacks. Yeah, I think that you know, you got a couple good defenders there too that really could fit in anywhere between Jalen Carter coming out of Georgia, Will Anderson Jr. coming out of Alabama. So it's, it's a decent top five class. Uh, this year, top 10, there's indeed interesting top 10 talents and some potential generational type players. So it's always a good time when you have those. Is this a draft about the two youngs? Is this, is this really about Byron Young and Bryce Young? Well, so, so no, not really, because there's two Byron Youngs, if you remember. Oh, there's yeah. one coming out of Tennessee <laughs> and there's one coming out of Alabama. So that makes it even more confusing. The Byron Young coming out of Alabama is a defensive tackle. He could probably play 3-4 defensive end, which is it's basically a 3-tech that can move out to 5 at times, you know, so play between the guards and the tackles. And then Byron Young coming out of Tennessee is probably an earlier round talent. He could go day two. He's fun. He's uh, he's got an awesome story. He came out of uh, working at a Dollar General, saw an advertisement a few years ago to go play football at Georgia Military Institute or something something along those lines. It was a prep school, and uh, he went there. And the rest is history. You know, he ended up getting a full ride scholarship to Tennessee, and he's you know SEC. I believe he was all SEC first and second team. You know, back to back years. So. Had a really outstanding career at Tennessee, and now he's looking to be a really good draft pick. So, now something me and I were talking about before you joined us is when you look at the first pick of the draft and how it was acquired or gifted, I guess you could say, <laughs> by, by the Houston yeah. Texans. Do you think Lovey Smith knew he was being let go, and that's what happened there? Yeah, I do. I do. I think that was exactly what happened. Because uh, so Lovey. Yeah, this is probably controversial to say, uh, but the fact of the matter is when Levy was hired, I think the writing was on the wall that he was a one-year rental. Yeah. Um, yep. You saw the same thing with Dave Cullen the year before, and it was it was very strange that Houston was going this route. You can speculate about why they went that route and why they wanted to do that, but you know that's neither here nor there, and to be honest. But the fact is that he was a one-year rental, and when he got hired, if you didn't see it on the wall, if you didn't see, if you didn't figure that out, I don't know what you were looking at. But um, this is a guy that had struggled to keep up with the game over the last few years. He had failed it in Illinois. It left him behind. He's a conservative coach, and he's an old school coach, and that's just not something that meshes well in the modern NFL. So it sucks that you know he got cut. I do believe that yes, he he knew that he was getting fired, and he definitely wanted to throw his little, you know, um, I guess leave his mark, which was <laughs> he did very very well, and I respect him one thousand percent for doing. Uh, he did it in a really great way, and it made that an entertaining Week 18 game that nobody was expecting to be that entertaining. So. 
Yeah, I think me and I were actually commenting how we felt bad for him when he got hired, right, me? Yeah, because it's kind of like it's a no-win situation because if you do well, it's, you, you're kind of supposed to do well, but that's highly unlikely with the cards he's been dealt. And if you don't do well, well, that's kind of what we expected. So <laughs> it, yeah, it was a bit of a hiding to nothing there. It was it was just a, it was a weird situation every way you look at it, right? Where, you know, the hire didn't make a lot of sense. They were talking about bringing on Josh McDaniel. If you remember the longtime backup quarterback, I think he was coaching high school while he was playing his last year in the, in the NFL. Yeah, like, you know, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, They were talking about bringing him on, and then you had, there was a media firestorm that came out of it. And so I think that there was a little bit of that that kind of went into it. It was like, well, we better just hire somebody else and not him because he has no experience. We saw the same type of media firestorm. You know, obviously when uh, Jeff Saturday got the job, with the Colts as the interim coach, which is a shocker to a lot of people, Mm -hmm. Uh, myself included. I didn't see that one coming at all, but um, you know, that's, that's kind of where they, they felt like they had to go. Um, Whether that was a good intention, a bad intention. That's just, I don't know. I wasn't in the pro, I wasn't in the facility. So uh, it's kind of hard for me to do anything except speculate, but you know, that's certainly what it looks like on the outside looking in is what they were trying to do. So, mm-hmm. Now, one thing you do on the inside is you have your process that I'm sure you go through each year as part of getting ready for the draft and seeing who's likely to make it and who's not going to make it. Correct. Take a listeners through that if you don't mind. So a process, um, it's always evolving. And it's because the game's always evolving. <laughs> you have to understand why the NFL is picking the players that they are, why certain guys are being looked at. I mean, just look at the slot receiver. That's a great example of evolution over the last 15 years. 15 years ago, there was no slot receiver. And then there was a guy named Wes Welker who played for the New England Patriots. He's picked up on the waivers off of the Miami Dolphins. He was a failed return man. And Bill Belichick went, oh, if I get this guy matched up on linebackers, I'm going to He's going to catch 100 balls a year. That's exactly what happened. And it forced defenses to go to the nickel. And so as the slot receiver evolved, slot receivers started getting bigger and bigger until you eventually get to chase Claypool. And Claypool coming out of Notre Dame was considered a failed prospect because he was too slow to play on the boundary. Well, the Steelers had no intention of playing him on the boundary. They wanted to play him in the slot. And so he starts running routes from the slot and kills it and catches 10 touchdowns his rookie year. Now everybody wants a big slot. You know, so – the game is constantly evolving and it's based on, you know, different things that different people are doing. It could be schematic based. It's, it's a lot of different factors that kind of kick in. So I really, really like to study that aspect of the game. So that's the first part is you really spend a lot of the off season understanding, okay, what are people targeting? Where is this direction going? You know, what, what are the positions that are kind of switching up this year? Once you kind of get an idea for that, now it's getting into assessing talent and that's just, Really, you just want to make sure that you have profiles built on everybody and that you're ready for the season. Uh, so, you know, when I'm watching a game, whether I go to a game, whether I'm watching it on TV, whatever that is, I want to make sure that I have all the guys that are potentially NFL people profiled so that all I have to do is I pull up their their profile and I just put it in, I insert my notes. Uh, so my document right now is probably, if I had to guess, I'd say 3,000 players deep. It's not something that I... You know, I, it's, I don't dismiss a player if he's not draft eligible. I have 
it all broken down and separated so that I can be tracking those guys as well. Those underclassmen that, you know, cause you have to be three years removed from high school to be eligible for the draft. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of those top end freshmen, sophomores that I'm looking at already and already have profiled and I've started building uh, so that I'm tracking them as soon as they're eligible. But it's just really just looking for traits, looking at body types, looking for different things that work at the next level, understanding where the game's coming from. Uh, and then just really, it's just a lot of tape study, a lot of tape study, you know, rewatching games that you've watched two or three times. Cause now you're going back and you're looking at it at another position group. You know, you're looking at it at another uh, aspect that you didn't look at it before. Right. There's so many ways that you watch a football game. There's so many angles to watch it from. And so it's just all about, you know, connecting all the dots and putting everything together to make something, you know, pick, pick up on what a guy can do or what he can't and create an evaluation based off of that. All right. I love that. I love that because I'm, I'm pretty big into the analysis side of things. So love to hear it. And I look forward to seeing how it evolves over the next few weeks. Yeah, John, you brought up the emergence of the slot receivers. So I'm wondering mm-hmm. how high do you rank the importance of cornerbacks, true defensive backs outside of safeties now? Yeah, so there's three different main groups, I think, in the defensive back area. And you can break them up a little bit farther than that if you want. And you, So you've got corners, you've got rovers, and you've got safeties. And so corners are basically boundary guys. See, I think where I think I'm where we're going with the game is, you know, these five, nine, five, eight slot cornerbacks, they're dying. Mm-hmm. And it's just really because there's not much of a place for them in the league anymore. Because when you get into a game, it's really all about matchups at the NFL right now. You want to create favorable matchups. And as a defense, you want to take those away. And so that was the whole point of going big in the slot was that's where you put your undersized corners, your undersized defensive backs was in the slot you know, and cover these quick speedy guys. And so um, that's kind of where they all went to. And so since they're going big, these undersized defensive backs, their their roles are just dying. There's not really a spot for them unless, you know, you're insanely athletic and a crazy outlier. So Rover would be, is kind of like a safety, It's but it's really a big nickel, you know. So somebody who's kind of in that mix between a safety and a linebacker, uh, that can take on those big slots, that can take away passing lanes, can settle into zone coverage a little bit and sort of just range like like Rover, basically. Like, you know, like you think of a moon rover going over, you know, the moon kind of thing. I think that's what it was kind of named after. But the idea is you just have range. You're playing free. You're looking, you know, uh, at you're using your instincts to move around the field and get into the right positions to make plays. Um, so I think that then you got your safeties, your deep safeties, a lot of those positions now too are interchangeable. I mean, if you look at how defenses are being called now, like the defense that you play on Madden where, you know, you got your basic cover twos and fours and sixes and threes and all of that different stuff are almost dead. Like you're, you're throwing defensive backs all over the field. You're dropping them here. You're disguising your looks. You're doing everything you can to make it difficult for the quarterback to understand what's going to happen post snap. And so because of that, you know, a safety really has to be able to play at all different points of the field. A cornerback has to be able to play deep coverage. Might be asked to play in the middle of the field like a like a like a safety, right? So that's kind of you know the the three basic breakups. Um, but boundary defenders, they're super. Like you have to have good corners, right? You have to have a guy that can play man coverage, 
take away a, a number one receiver potentially or really limit him throughout a game. Otherwise, you're going to get thrown all over. It's a passing league now. Um, so that number one corner really helps you. I think you have to have a good slot. So a good nickel guy, Rover. And you have to have a good safety. And I think you can kind of patch everything else together. How advantageous do you think it is, it is to have a player like a Fred Warner, Warner Isaiah Simmons, uh, Denzel Ward type in the middle that has that athleticism to cover big wide receivers? Well, yeah. So you, you saw it this week with Fred Warner, right, against the Cowboys in the uh, NFC divisional round. And, you know, it was funny. I was talking about a play on Twitter where, you know, somebody asked me why did Dak make this throw? I think it was third quarter. He tried to force it to CD and Fred Warner was covering him. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just, you know, when you watch the play, and you, you, you kind of have to understand what the Cowboys are running uh, schematically. It's basically like a one-read system, and it's based off the coverage. Uh, so you read the coverage, and you go straight to the beater, whatever the route is the, to beat that type of coverage. And in this case, it was the seam routes, which he had, you know, T.Y. Hilton wide open on one side, and he had C.D. Lamb being covered by Fred Warner on the other. And so when you kind of look at how they disguise the coverage, uh, the 49ers, they made Warner look like he was about to blitz. And all of a sudden he bolts into a fast break run all the way down the field, trying to cover lamb. And anytime as a quarterback, you see one-on-one, you know, a linebacker on a wide receiver, you're going to throw that ball. That's right. You know, so that's what he saw. That's where he went to. And he just delivered a terrible ball. He underthrew it, put it way too far inside. He needed to put that thing over Lamb's shoulder, really, uh, let him go over the top. That's a touchdown. And, but, you know, everybody noticed that T.Y. Hilton's wide open. Why don't you throw it to him? And it's, well, because there's a safety right there that could potentially jump it too. And so he's just looking at the matchup. Again, goes back to matchup games, right? Uh, so he's looking for the matchup. He goes there. So <laughs> having a guy like Warner who has the speed to, you know, run down the field uh, abandon his and the instinct and the knowledge to abandon his assignment and realize that I have to track this guy and go with him all the way is invaluable. I mean, just if you go back and you look at that game, Fred Warner made so many plays in that game against the Cowboys. I mean, just with his athleticism, with his instincts. So a guy like him, a guy like Isaiah Simmons, these guys are invaluable, you know, to strategic defensive coordinators who know what they're doing because that's, that's, you know, you can scheme basically everyone else around them and let them go just use their instincts and go chase plays and go make plays. And that's what the 49ers do with Warner. And that's what, you know, people like the Eagles do with uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. You know, like there's players like that across the board right now in the league that really just roam free and do what they have to do uh, using their instincts. And that's invaluable to a defense. Now, just based on your skills assessment, was the best linebacker in the league on the field during that divisional round game, and and was it Fred Warner? You know, it's. I thought when I was watching that play and I was breaking it down, I thought he was a safety uh, because he tracked that ball so fast. And it wasn't until I like I three tweets in explaining this thing to and and, and you know just in an argument was not an argument, but explaining it to somebody and breaking it down further that I realized, oh wait, that's Fred Warner. I think he's definitely among the best. I think that you have to also look at a guy like Darius Leonard, you know, as, as okay. when he's healthy, he's absolutely insane. Very similar skill set, but again, really instincts, instincts. It's hard to pinpoint, you know, like who's the best linebacker, who's the best at every position because there's so many variables and things that you look at. But yeah, I could say that I, I would say that out of the teams left playing, 
that week. He was he was the best linebacker on that that played the divisional round period. Okay, and before I pass you back to me, who's the highest linebacker on your your big board going into the twenty twenty three draft? Okay, so that's so right now the guy that we're kind of looking at um, is probably going to be Alabama linebacker Henry Tuotuo. This is an interesting. He was he's a transfer from Tennessee. He played two years there, was a leader in tackles, did a really great job, went to Alabama, and continued on being a star. And he's got decent size. He's what you would call a super junior. He's going to be at the um, at the Senior Bowl this week uh, or next week, rather. I, I should say. Really, just instinctive guy. He can play coverage. He can come down and play, you know, hard against the run. And I think that uh, he's probably the top linebacker in this class, just based on his ability. One of the things that's kind of that's another part of the aspect of understanding where the game's going. You got a lot of teams that are going to uh, half field reads, where you basically have two mics, two middle linebackers, yeah. and they split the box in half, and they just they roam that range and it's because the mic position is so difficult uh, to find a guy with a skill set that can do it all. And so you break the assignment up into two and you're already going nickel. So it's like, it's basically, it's basically like having, you know, it's, it's, it has the same type of effect uh, on a defense. But the thing with, with uh, Tua Tua is he's actually a true mic. He's actually a true middle linebacker and can, you know, play that entire role. And I think that, you know, five years from now, we'll be talking about him as a top five linebacker in the league. Nice. So refreshing that we're talking about defense. I don't think defense gets talked about enough. Well, most definitely on Twitter, but it's general <laughs> football chat. So I, I just think it's always like, oh, this quarterback's going to beat this quarterback. Oh, hang on. He's going to get past the other 11 defenders first. But anyway, um, that, that aside, you guys were talking about the um, – that coverage by Fred Warner. It's amazing that he can run so close with CD Lamb, a guy that's, you know, running 18 to 20 miles per hour. And this guy's like huge yet still um, matching him step for step. Are we seeing the the era of the positionless defender, John, in your opinion? Yeah, no, I think everybody's kind of running toward that. I mean, look at Micah Parsons, right? Now, is Micah settling into a position? Yes, because he's such a valuable edge rusher, a guy that you bring to come after the quarterback. It's really hard to put him anywhere else. But when he was coming out of college, there was a lot of debate about where he would fit best. A lot of people forget that because he's had such a, a successful career at this point. But, uh, you know, Micah, he's a great example of a positionalist guy. You can put him literally anywhere on the field. If you're having issues, you know, defending, I think honestly, if you look at how they attacked, how they played the Philadelphia Eagles. The Dallas Cowboys were one of the teams that played them the best this year. And it was really being able to move Micah wherever they had to, just to slow down the offense. Uh, the Eagles have been able to do whatever they want. You know, you stop the run, they throw over you. And if you stop the pass, they run all over you. And so being able to move Micah around into those different positions um, really helps limit that offense and, and will force some turnovers and different things that, you know, you don't normally see. So I think that helped them a lot. But, no, positionless defenders are we're kind of getting to that point where, you know, I talked about the coverage, how all the def def defensive backs are expected to have a lot of similarities to what they can do despite playing different positions. Uh, you see that with linebackers now. Linebackers a lot of times are just big oversized safeties essentially that don't run as fast. That's 
yeah, I think that we're definitely getting to that point, and it's really because it's a passing league. We're going closer and closer, ever closer to seven on seven type football, and that's just you know that sometimes again the game changes, it evolves. That's where we're evolving to. Mm-hmm. Are you ready to stay fit this winter? Get off the couch with Kettlebell Kickboxing Canada. Sign up now to their mobility and movement program. Use the code PSP15 to get 15% off the one-time purchase of the program. Then it's yours forever. No additional subscriptions or fees. The program is available worldwide. Now, back to the show. So my question is this, because, I mean, Kobe and I are a little bit older. We grew up with the the four three, the three four base defense. Can we even use those terms anymore? Or is it more about <laughs> man and um, cover? You know, it's I, you can, but I, I think honestly, it's more about counting how many down defenders you have, uh, because most teams are doing are using four right now, four man fronts. Mm. Uh, the reason that you use a four man front is because if you have two effective uh, interior defenders, so defensive tackles you're going to take, you know, three blocks off of with those two players. In theory, that gets you, you know, one-on-ones with the, the offensive tackles for your edge rushers. Mm-hmm. If you have guys that are just even just outstanding and are really good, you those two guys on the inside are going to get four blocks, you know, so they'll both demand doubles and uh, you get a one-on-one with your edge rusher matched up with a tight end. So, you know, you see all these guys on Twitter, these analysts, uh, you know, not saying names, Dan Orvosky, um, <laughs> go get up on there and say something like, hey, stop matching tight ends one-on-one with edge rushers. And it's like, no, there's not much you can do about it in that situation because now you're going to get interior pressure. And as a quarterback, as an offensive line, you are it's taught. the worst thing. Yeah. Right. It is. It's As a quarterback, it's so hard to step through interior pressure. So it's just better to hope that the tight end's going to hold off the edge rusher long enough to let the quarterback step up and make a throw as you contain the interior. Um, so, you know, like – that's the one that's, you know, it's people not understanding sometimes how the game's changing and understanding what's going on in the field in real time. But that's what everybody's trying to do for the most part. You still have a few teams that run three-man fronts. Philadelphia's done that a lot this year at times where they'll, they'll run four a lot, but they'll also run three and then put Hassan Reddick up there and use him as a fourth rusher. You know, Reddick's pl- kind of played that positionalist role this year where he's playing some linebacker, playing some edge rusher. He's had a phenomenal year. But that's, again, going back to the the original uh, point there, it's can you really use it? Yeah, you could probably still, but I think it's better used. It's, it's more accurate to say four-man front, three-man front, as opposed to base four-three, base three-four, because nobody really uses your base anymore. Your base is a nickel. Mm. Awesome. I appreciate that. And uh, I look forward to seeing the football heads adjust maybe to that. But uh, if not, that's okay because we know what um, we know. It's right, and we'll continue to follow guys that you like you who are in the know. Now, I believe you're a 49ers fan. Oh, Let, let's talk mm, a little bit no, retrospectively. No, 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 49ers. Nope, nope. Oh, no, not the 49ers. <laughs> <laughs> well, nope. um, it's, <laughs> are you nope, a no. t- Titans fan? No, no, not Titans either. No, it's a big week for me because uh, I'm an Eagles fan. I'm a Jalen Hurts oh, guy. Oh, wow. My yeah, yeah. That's why I said, "Hey, big week, big week, man." Yeah, big yeah. I just week. assumed big week because you're nines, but okay, so we're clashing. Great. Um, Correct. Well, one of us will be happy, but in any case, that aside, 
Did you see what we're seeing with the Brock Lobster, with the hunt for Brock Tober? Did you see any of that coming in your analysis? No, no. Um, now, the nice thing about Brock and the situation that he's walked into is he has one of the best offensive innovators in the game. That's Kyle Shanahan. Hands down, the guy is insane with what he's able to scheme, how he gets people open to space, what he, how he coaches quarterbacks, helping them, sort of manufacturing them into his offense and helping them to make accurate, quick decision time reads, right? So that's his biggest asset. Uh, Brock is, Brock's biggest asset is his coaching, right, and the scheme. So, no, I didn't see that coming at all. Now, looking at him, he had a really great freshman year at Iowa State. And I think that uh, his coach in there at Iowa State, Matt Campbell, is kind of one of these guys that's starting to get caught up in the the game is changing too fast for him to keep up with uh, because he had those first few really good years. They lost some talent. They kind of leaned on Bryce Hall, you know, the year before um, Brock left. Hall leaves and goes to the NFL, has a great year. Oh, wait, no, I guess they, they both came out at the same time, but come to think of it. Uh, but no, there's there's a lot of different factors, you know, that kind of kicked in where you didn't see them play as well as they had before. It wasn't really Brock's fault. It was kind of the scheme. Brock is Brock has issues, right? And we kind of saw it a little bit against Dallas. He's not a guy that moves very well in the pocket. He doesn't have a natural feel for it. And when you force him off his platform, he's going to make an inaccurate throw. When he has just enough time to stand in there, take a hit and make a throw off before he does so, He's, in, he's insane. And that was, I think that's been the biggest change in his game from when he was at Iowa State to now. It's just understanding the offense, having the uh, faith and confidence in his skill players to be there where he, it, the ball is supposed to be and getting through that play. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I guess there's hope. There's hope for the future, regardless of what happens in the championship game. Yeah, staying on that vein, well, how do you explain Trey Lance then? So Lance, Lance was one of those guys I was not very, oh, I wasn't very keen on coming out. <laughs> You're with me on that one. No, no, I was, I think I had a, it was like a second to third round grade on him uh, when he came out and he was the fifth quarterback in the class. I think I had Zach Wilson just a little bit ahead of him. And it's just because when you look at the North Dakota State offense, it's a one, two read system. They're running one, two routes. It's a very heavy run. They leaned on his legs a lot. And so I thought that there was a lot of work to do with Lance as a passer. You know, he has a good arm. He's a pretty good athlete. I don't see the elite traits. I just don't think that he has, you know, calling cards. You know, so when when things go bad, he's got elite traits that he can lean on. And so that's kind of my issue with Lance. Now, do you replace him with Purdy at this point? I don't think so. I think that you're, you're going to go... You, you know that you have a very capable backup now in Purdy who can complete a run for you potentially. Um, but he's really just a spot starter. He can come in for a few games. You can do a bunch of different things with him. He's going to be effective doing it. So you're comfortable with him now being the backup for the next few years. Lance, on the other hand, we don't have enough tape to really understand what he's going to be and what he's going to do. We have a terrible, soapy, soppy game against the Chicago Bears where the weather's terrible. We had a pretty good preseason. We had a pretty good, you know, um, week two before he gets hurt. And it's just, there's no real indicator of what we can really tell about him. You know, so I think you're comfortable letting Garoppolo walk at this point, And that's mm-hmm. helpful in terms of building a roster. But um, no, you're, you're not going to move Lance. You're going to hang on to him. Purdy's going to, is, is 
proven what he is, a very capable backup, potentially a low-end starter in the right system. And um, you're going to roll. You're going to run with Lance next year for sure. Okay, so when you're looking at these top-ranked quarterbacks coming out of college now, mm-hmm. and they're getting drafted, you know, in the first few picks, generally to poor situations outside of a like a generational talent, like an like Andrew Luck or a, or Trevor Lawrence. What, what chance do they really have of? showing enough to to progress in the league now it, again it, coaching scheme fit all that really factors into it uh i'll give you a great give you, we'll go through the 2021 class and just kind of point out outside of lawrence you know lawrence obviously was a generational prospect zach yeah. wilson was he a guy well he had a really nice arm and he was kind of a playmaker and so you had all of that you go to a situation where you're going to a defensive coach Mm-hmm. brand new first year you're the number you're the second overall pick so you're expected to start right away you have some risks with your offensive coordinator over the of your first couple of years we really i think the jury's still out on wilson at this point mm-hmm. lance we just talked about yeah. mac jones went to the absolute perfect place he possibly could have gone i said please don't let this happen don't let him go to the patriots he'll be freaking tom brady for the next you know 10 years bill belichick won't retire Maybe that's not entirely accurate, but in terms of fit, I mean, that was perfect for Mac. And that's why I think he had initial success. Yeah, plug and play. You're right. Yeah, he was one of those guys that was ready to just step in there and go. Fields. And then uh, the, the Fields, right. Fields goes, again, goes to Chicago. Uh, that's, a, that's a mess. That's been a mess. You get your head coach fired the first year. Not your fault as a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, it seemed like th- th- he was against – picking a quarterback there. He wanted a veteran. He wanted probably want to keep Mitch and Mitch didn't want to stay. So, you know, you, you entered a, a, a really unstable situation and you've shown flashes like Fields has a great arm. Fields is an excellent athlete. He's got two elite traits. So he's got a chance if you can develop the rest of them. Is it so it really, it, it does come back to situation, you know, where a guy's at. Uh, we even saw it with Lawrence, right? Lawrence is paired up with Urban Meyer that was a great idea. The football gods <laughs> blessed us with that one, yeah. you know, and, and just what, what are you supposed to do? Like as a quarterback, as you're trying to develop to a new speed, a new level of the game, uh, and you've got this guy that's never developed a quarterback in his life coaching you and also trying to run it like it's Ohio State and it's not. So um, there are all kinds of issues with that. You see what happens when he gets around a good coach. So it's really – People don't realize it as much. Football and quarterbacks and scout and all that different stuff really comes down to relationships and pairing. How well are you going to pair guys to coaches, to schemes? How well is that going to it's, – it's like a marriage, right? How well is that going to work out together? Um, so, you have a really good chance if you can get a really good pairing. If you don't have a really good pairing, you've got a pretty good chance you're going to fail and may flunk out of the league. Yeah, I mean, if you look at that 2021 class, there was all this talk of, you know, the 49ers wanted to move up and grab a quarterback and that Shanahan kind of liked Trey Lance. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. No way. No, it's not going to happen. And then they went ahead and they took Trey Lance. (laughs) And I thought they gave up way too much to move up to get the third pick quarterback. And they could have sat where they are and maybe got fields. Who knows? But it just seemed odd to me. But I thought, you know what? At least he has a chance because he's going to a decent program. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and that's the thing is that scheme is so 
well coordinated for quarterbacks to step into and run. It's so quarterback friendly. And, you know, that's the thing. A lot of people, they get so caught up in their scheme and so caught up in, you know, what I want to be able to do with the football and what I want to do on offense or defense or whatever, that they, they start trying to take square pegs and fit them into round holes. Yeah, And, you know, seeing, oh, it, it's not working. Why isn't this working? My scheme, it's foolproof, blah, 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 blah. No, coaching is about marrying your talent to your scheme, adjusting it so that you can take the talent that you have and bring it to the scheme, you know, and adjusting as needed. You know, you don't adjust the player. It's like a, there's a guy I talked to today coming out of UNLV, you know, back when he was 280 pounds and a three-tech defensive tackle. This is a guy that was running, hit 20, almost 21 miles an hour on the GPS. What did they do with him? They went, oh, well, we want you to play one tech, so put on 40 pounds. And then you put it, you watch the tape and now he can't move. And mm. you're going, what happened? It's the coach tried to change the player to fit the scheme instead of changing the scheme to fit his players. You know, so that's what a lot of coaches make mistakes doing. Um, and that's why, again, it goes back to fit what it, you know, do you fit, uh, the coach? Do, do you guys mesh well? How well does the relationship work both with each other is in a professional business relationship or a, uh, you know, scheme, like how well does he fit? How well do you change and adjust the scheme to fit his skill set? So when you're looking at quarterbacks who've now had success recently throughout through drafts and the majority have happened sort of later in a draft, mm-hmm. these are quarterbacks that have some kind of question when they come into it. And as a result, go a little bit later, you're looking at Mahomes, you're looking at Hertz, these mm-hmm. kind of guys, they end up in situations that are solid, right? Like they have full teams around them and they're given a chance to succeed that way. Is it the skill or is it the scheme? It's both. It's both. Cause I mean, can you imagine Patrick Mahomes trying to run, you know, Greg Roman, I think it's Greg Roman's offensive coordinator Baltimore was. Mm-hmm. Or is he defensive? I can't remember. Offense, imagine yeah. him trying to run the Lamar Jackson scheme in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. I mean, is he a legendary player right now? Probably not. Is he making big plays every once in a while? Yeah, I would say he is. But, uh, you know, like, again, you try – Kirk Cousins isn't even like, that's a crazier example. Try putting Kirk Cousins in that Baltimore offense and see what <laughs> happens, killed. right? Yeah, no, he's, we're, we're talking about, oh, he's not a starter, blah, 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 blah. And he can't play in this league. He needs to go. You know, so you can put guys in different schemes, right? Like, it, like that's some guys are able to play a bunch of different types of things. But again, it's all about what does this guy do that's elite? How do I maximize the skills that are good, right? So, uh, great example is Josh Allen. Josh Allen came to the league, had a great arm, really good athlete. They said, zero right, we'll, fix, well, yeah, we'll fix everything in between, right? Now, we say zero accuracy because some of the throws that he made at Wyoming were just atrocious. But how much of that was on two different things? One, receivers dropping balls because there were times that he made crazy awesome throws and they dropped it. Or the receivers just not being at, you know, uh, play being able to play at a high level and get to where they're supposed to be. You know, so that's another aspect, you know, things change in a game. You can run routes versus air or in practice, you know, against off coverage. But when they start jamming your guys and, you know, you're throw, trying to put the ball where this guy's been every, every day at practice and he's not there yet because he couldn't get off the jam coverage. What is that? You know, so there were a bunch of different, they, they, they were just, they knew that he had a couple of elite traits. They said, let's take him. 
let's just try to work everything in around that. And so what they did is they built an offense over the next few years that allows him to maximize the skill. He's a power runner. So let him run the ball. Let him stretch the field vertically. Let him throw, take chances and throw into tight windows. He's going to hit a lot of them, you know, and that's what you see. Does it create turnovers? Yeah, and it does sometimes, unfortunately. But you also see that Thanksgiving game, for example, against Detroit, that throw to Stephon Diggs in the last few seconds as yeah. they're getting ready to, you know, score and win the game. That was an insane throw. That's into cover two, and it's actually Tampa two. So the middle linebacker, he drops even deeper than he normally does in that type of coverage. That's not a, that's not a throw you're supposed to be able to make, right? Like, but Josh Allen made it 30 yards down the field into triple coverage. So that's kind of like the thing that you have is you got to, you know, you try to put somebody like Joe Burrow in that situation. Joe Burrow's not making a throw. He can't drive the ball like Josh Allen can. Yeah. So it's not so much, it's, it's like skill. Yes, you have to have the skill, but you have to put the skill in the position to be successful. Right on. Yeah, and speaking of positions, uh, I, th- I think back to this uh, upcoming draft in the first round. Over the last few years, we've seen a decline in the number of running backs taken in the first round. Could we see a running back taken first round this year? Absolutely. I mean, this B. John Robinson kid coming out of Texas is insane. And uh, I'll be honest with you, man. We were at the, down at the Tropical Bowl talking with a bunch of scouts and stuff. Like we just start, you know, you start bullshitting a little bit here and there and talking about different stuff. I'm sorry if I wasn't supposed to cuss. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, you, you um, did. So, <laughs> uh, you know, you're, you're talking a little bit and going back and forth and, you know, getting some feedback and whatever. Bijan came up several times and he's not there. He's not at the Tropical Bowl. He's not going to be anywhere till the combine. And we're already talking about him going, oh, man, dog, if he don't go first round, what are they doing? You know, like his skill set's so freaking unique in terms of a guy that just as a runner, he's so dynamic. You see crazy, crazy ability, athletic ability and body control. It's just it's un, it's unreal. And he, he can be a receiver out of the backfield too. You know, like Bijan's going to probably go first round. He might go for top 20, honestly. Uh, he looks like he's going to be a stellar talent. And uh, if this is five, 10 years ago, maybe he's going, you know, top five because he's a top five talent in this class, in my opinion. It's not quite that year. It's not quite that era where you take a running back that high. You know, Leonard Fournette and, you know, uh, Trent Richardson, there were guys that they did that recently and it didn't pan out. So I think teams are a little bit more hesitant to do that. But yeah, no, I think Bichon goes first round. And uh, Jamar Gibbs might sneak in the end of the first round too. All right. I look forward to that because, uh, yep, I'll be picking early in my dynasty draft. So <laughs> hopefully this will be the last year I pick early, but I, I made a note of those names. So I appreciate that. Now, mm-hmm. you're heading down to Alabama. So that reminds me of food straight, o- straight off the bat. What's your go-to when you're in Mobile or in and around the area? So there's two really good places to go in Mobile. Uh, first, of, first off, across the street from the Renaissance Hotel is a little place called Veets. And uh, Veets is more so of a bar. I guess they have a kitchen in there that's only open for a certain amount of time, and then they close it, and then it's just drinks. Uh, but everybody goes there. That's uh, What happens in Veets stays in Veets. <laughs> so uh, we'll just leave that at that. That's They're pretty good. they got some good stuff there. And the other place to go there is, honestly, it's Draft Picks. Draft Picks is probably three blocks down from the hotel, and a lot of people go there too. 
but some pretty outstanding stellar food. You get a really good taste. Now, the problem is you're asking the wrong guy about food. I'm not a big seafood person personally, unless you can cook a monster mahi-mahi steak or tuna steak. Like I will eat that up, but um, I'm not a big seafood guy. And Mobile is like right there on the coast. Like, you know, you go into the the uh, Mobile Convention Center and it's right there on the beach. You can literally you look out the window and you see, you see, you know, the, the, the Gulf. But uh, I'm, I'm not a big seafood person. So I'm going to eat traditional American food. And there's some pretty, there's still some pretty good spots to go down there and drink a beer or two while you're doing it. So there we go. And have you been to Canada? No, never been to Canada, believe it or not. The closest I've been to Canada was Massachusetts. I stopped there uh, on the way to, I think we were going to Kuwait for about two hours. That's as close as I've been to Canada. Ah, so close. Quebec is just across the road. Yes. <laughs> could, you got, could you got yourself a poutine? Yeah. I, I could have snuck over there and probably come back in time, but, you know, rules are rules. Next time, next time. Are you? Do you have any uh, trips planned for the year, or uh, are you going to be in the U.S. the time being? Uh, I should just. I'm going to be working in the U.S. Man, we got a lot of football here. I'm starting a new job with uh, DreamWorks LLC. We're a managing company for players as well. Uh, so that's going to take up some time too. Where you know, kind of out recruiting and talking with some guys. So we'll do a lot of traveling across America this year, I think. But for the most part, staying here. All right. And where can our listeners find you on, on social media? Uh, yeah. So uh, Twitter, Draft Vogel uh, is my handle there. Um, I use that probably more than anything. It's probably the best way to contact, see anything that I post, that I put up, that I write. Uh, it all pretty much goes up on there. And then also you can catch a, like Instagram, I guess, too, is I'm doing that now. That's Draft J Vogel and uh, Snapchat. I, I, like to throw up and, and get to know some people on there too. Like we have a good time. Uh, so Snapchat also draft Vogel. That's pretty much then my handle is going to be draft Vogel, uh, pretty much anywhere you go. Fantastic. We just gave you a follow, gave you a follow. And uh, you also host a podcast yourself. You want to tell us listeners about that real quick? Yeah. So, uh, so actually I'll have, as soon as I get off of here, I'll have a couple of episodes going up. Right now, it's mostly just an interview with, you know, draft uh, players, prospects and stuff. And uh, it's called the JDV Experience. And it's, we just kind of – we sit down. We have a nice conversation. We talk about them, you know, their their journey into how they started playing football. And we talk about their game as well. And so, the idea is to kind of be – to get people more hip with some of the finer-tuned details of football. Letting them kind of tell their stories of how they got into it. And then teach people, you know, te- things about technique, different – you know, uh, how they do things, how they play, what they see when they're on the field. And so that kind of stuff just to kind of, I guess, make a unique experience, right? Where football is such a deep, complex sport and every aspect of it, to me at least, is interesting. And just being able to share that, have coaches, have different media people on as well sometimes, uh, and mostly players, just being able to express themselves in that is really, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. So yeah, we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, pretty much all the platforms that you would commonly use. Fantastic. Well, we appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Appreciate you guys inviting me. It was great talking to you, John, for sure. 
Of course, anytime, guys. Uh, as long as my, as long as I don't miss an appointment again, right? I think this might strike one, right? Good. I mean, I, I, I'll admit I was ready to cut the interview when you said you're an Eagles fan, but I, I, we've, we've had a few Eagles fans on, so I think you're good. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. For even more of your favorite sports content, be sure to visit the website www.prosportspodcasters.com. On our website, you will find our sports blog, full podcast library, access to our YouTube channel, and deals from our affiliate partners. You can also sign up to become a PSP Insider and get exclusive access to our insider tips, sponsor giveaways, and insider newsletter. So don't miss out on the full Pro Sports Podcasts experience, where no sport is left behind.